0: Welcome to the REI Foundation Podcast, where we cover all the steps and strategies to make your real estate dreams a reality. Now, your hosts, Jason and Peely. Hi, everyone, and welcome again to the Real Estate Investing Foundation Podcast with Jason and Peely. Today, we have a hugely amazing, special day because number one, we are welcoming back Ben Leibovich. He's awesome. Yay! And we are also bringing on to the show, Sam Grooms. Welcome both.
1: Thanks for having us. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be
2: with you. I'm glad to be back. This was one of the, the first one was one of the funnest shows I've ever done. And I do a lot of these things and, and that was just great. So I'm looking forward to this.
3: Yep, and you had time. Darren Sager with you, and uh, yeah. Darren says the opposite. He said it was absolutely painful. <laughs> said, okay, good. That's why Sam is here today because Darren could just not take one more show with us. So we said, okay, okay, Darren. So we're we're gonna bring on new energy that's happy to be here. So we. Get- <laughs> Before, Hi, Sam. Before we get into that great stuff, a little bit more about Sam. is uh, Sam, prior to Whitehaven Capital, which we'll talk about today, he's invested in hundreds of multifamily units, combined acquisitions exceeding $25 million. Sam began his career at Deloitte, where he assisted public companies with their SEC filing and went on to manage the... SEC reporting for Amcor, a $3 billion public company. And Sam graduated from Arizona State University uh, it with a master's in accounting and a certified public accounting. Boom. Boom. And, and
0: Ben's here too.
3: <laughs> well, Ben, You're right, if you, I like these guys. If you haven't listened to the prior episode or heard a lot of the other awesome stuff Ben has out there. Then was born in Russia and was on his way to becoming, and, and I think was a professional violin, and at yep. some point was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis and figured out, if not music, how can I make a living? And going over a number of different investment-related strategies, Came back to real estate and over seven years assembled a 1.5 million dollar portfolio of real estate that generates over 165,000 of rent revenue with annual cash flow of over 40,000. We know with today's conversation, a lot of that has probably changed. <laughs> yeah. You guys said yes. a show. But well, that's uh, just changed. Yeah, exactly. Let's,
0: let's, let's hear, you know, let's just hear the new numbers right now, Ben. Give it to us.
2: Uh, I, well, I think, see, so. <laughs> Sam and I bought a fifteen million dollar property for about eight million, uh, it's a repositioning project. We'll need a few years to do what we gotta do, but uh, we think uh, we think that we did okay. That's great.
3: I think well, you
0: did okay too.
2: We, before
3: we dive into it, let's give it a little more context. Is that we we know uh, you're out in Arizona, and uh, last we met you, we we're looking actively for multifamily properties. But let's talk a little bit about how you focused on Arizona, how you and Sam became a partnership.
2: Well, I'll start. I'll let Sam describe how we became a partnership. But really, that all comes down to my exceptionally good looks. I mean, you you couldn't pass that by, you know. But for me, last time I was on with you guys, I think Peely asked, so what now because I we were talking about a house hack, you know, and I'm still in this house and it's you know great and everything fantastic. Pew goes, so what's next? And I go like, well, I don't know, you know, syndication maybe. So I figured I can't disappoint Pilly. So boom, there we awesome. go. So that's how that happened, the reason for which it happened. Now Sam can talk about how he chose me to be his
0: uh, <laughs> that makes me feel so good. We actually were we we're right there at the beginning yep. and Pushed Ben into the world of syndication and large multifamily that's huge thank you so Good
1: Sam. Job, guys. Um, so Ben and I met uh, through Brandon Turner uh, since we both live in Phoenix we uh, Brandon knew that both of us were interested in uh, syndications and multi large multifamily projects and so Brandon Turner actually connected us um, and that was about nine months ago and then Ben and I Connected. We started underwriting together and spent six months straight underwriting before finding a deal. Wow, that's great.
3: That's great. Now, if you go back to it, you've now done multifamily properties before. Have they, have they all been
1: syndications or give us a little background on, on your foray and what, what your direction was? Um, so I started flipping, um, but I knew I wanted to invest passively. Um, flipping, it's, it's a job. So when I left being a CPA for flipping, you're spending a lot of time flipping. Um, So I wanted to invest passively. It didn't make sense in today's market to do single family homes, Um, even small multifamily. I just, the management wasn't there. I wanted something where I can just hire a professional manager and they can take care of it. Um, So I started investing in deals passively in other people's syndicates. And then that's when I decided I wanted to come over to the syndication side and hooked up with Ben. So doing that,
3: did were you able to learn a lot, invest, investing passively? Because I've heard a couple of people actually do it on that side, and it's been a huge stepping stone for them to come out and be active on their side.
1: Yeah, and I and I actually went into that knowing that eventually I wanted to be on the GP side. Um, so, yeah, I learned a ton. I already, I, with a financial background, um, I had that side of it. But just seeing the management, seeing the investment side of it um, really helped a ton just to see what kind of, Information you're providing to investors, what they're looking for in deals, um, what investors, what kind of returns investors, what kind of waterfall structures there were out there. Um, learned a ton of how different people were running things. Do you have some tips on ve-
3: how, when you invested, how you vetted the operators? Maybe if some other people are looking to invest passively, what were some things that stood out to you? You said, okay, this is the operator and the project I wanted to go after.
1: Um, So if you look at someone's OM, that can tell you a lot about the operator. So if you look at the the private place memorandum, the offering memorandum, um, that'll tell you how detailed they are. If it's just one that's thrown together um, and you don't really know what's going on with this investment, um, I would stay away from that. Um, And actually, there are some big operators that still, they don't seem to put together a nice product for their investors. Um, So that was one thing I really looked at. I went to, I did a lot of local companies here um, just cause I know the market, um, knew where Phoenix was headed. Um, so was a lot of operators that you wouldn't know nationally, but they're from, they have a Cushman and Wakefield background locally. Um, I've also done a few realty shares investments. Um, so that the realty shares model was nice. We got to see what the real professional guys were doing as far as syndicators. Um, so we were able to use a lot of that in how we pre- present our deals to investors. It's awesome. That's awesome. And now, from a
3: perspective, why a lot of people are now focusing on the Midwest and Southeast. Why, from a market perspective, did you guys hone down on Phoenix? <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> There's a lot there. Uh, so Phoenix <laughs> is the second fastest growing large city in the country right now. Um, and the mm-hmm. county is number one. Um, jo- job growth is up. rank growth is really, really high. Um, one of the f- highest in the nation. Um, so all the fundamentals are there for Phoenix. Uh, Southwest you you might be able to get more cash flow up front, but long term, if I would if someone would rather own in Phoenix or the Southwest, I would say Phoenix every day. That's great. I
3: actually saw it yeah, I saw a five-year trend to 2022. I think you're right. Phoenix was two. They have a 16% effect of rent growth. I actually just saw that on a chart today. So, yeah, incredible. Yeah. That, that, really impressive. <laughs> so,
2: well, and, and interestingly, right now, just in place, you know, there's been studies. I think I think it was um, – it wasn't Cushman. Who was it that did that study that we uh, cited in the uh, OM? For rent growth, or what was it? Yeah, that the national uh, average – Go
1: ahead. the national uh, average you're going in- the, Yardy, the Yardy matrix
2: no the national average in 2017 for apartments was right around $1330 if my memory serves me correctly phoenix oh, is 100000 yeah. wow. wow okay so we have all this population growth job growth you know all of this stuff happening and yet we're not even hitting the national average Yes, there's four and a half caps, but this is why, because by the time you purchase a four and a half caps, organic rent growth to the median is going to give you a 20% bump to that cap rate to begin with at your basis. So buying a four and a half cap is basically almost like buying at five and uh, you know, three quarters, essentially. Okay. Um, then the question becomes, are you, is Phoenix capable of hitting the national averages? and that's where you have to make a call and we're here and we feel very bullish on the fact that not only are we capable of it but there's no reason why we shouldn't be on the higher side of the scale considering the good weather the opportunities the income the the the, the corporate environment and the low property taxes and everything else so it's very difficult not to be bullish considering here we are here's the national average and we really should be somewhere here and we're here, you know, it's, it's like, doesn't make any sense.
3: So if an investor comes to you and and they're talking about cap rates and they see such a low cap rate, give us your, cause you have a great points that you've made to us prior about not worrying about where the cap rate starts. Would you be able to elaborate on that?
2: Right. Yeah. I mean, this, this deal we purchased, I think it was about 4.75 cap um, in place, but the only reason we bought it is because of the value add. So, you know, 24 to 36 months from now, our basis is going to be an 8.3 cap.
0: Speak a little bit on value add for our listeners out there.
2: So, so we, we have about a $1.4 million CapEx upfront budget, and that includes about 7,500 inside and about another half million per door and about half million community wise, uh, uh, wide on the uh, exterior. So altogether somewhere around $13,000 per door of CapEx. And, um, that, we think, can bump our rents by $300, 350 And when you have that kind of – and that's the only way to buy. So what, what blows my mind is when I see people coming out with two syndications a month. I mean, like, it takes me six months to find one that I really want to get behind and do – Okay, and I see two syndications per month coming out from some people, we all know who they are. And I, I'm just like, you know, like, you know, what contortions are your numbers performing right now to make this a reasonable proposition, right? Um, I, I, don't, I don't get it, I, you know, like for me and Sam, a couple of these a year, if we can
1: find them, that'd be fantastic. I don't, I don't want to build a pipeline out of it, you know? And so, I, yeah. so the reason the cap rates are so low in areas like this is because the fundamentals are so well. An investor says, "I'm gonna. I'll take that lower rate now because I know where Phoenix is headed." That's the only reason a cap rate gets compressed in a certain market versus another. Um, well, so and take- this is
2: generally true too with
1: any acquisition, right? A right.
2: value add. An investor mm-hmm. should be willing to buy at a lower cap rate because of the fact that there's value add. So if you well, consider market wide, this is the same thing. A market is worth a lower capitalization rate based on the fact that there's va- organic
1: presumed value add in the market right itself. well that's why you do a, a value add in a city like phoenix because i can get that low i get that low cap rate but i can bring up that cap rate through the value add to an eight cap and then i'm buying in phoenix at an eight cap where i'm still going to get all the benefits that those people are getting at a five cap because i'm going to get the appreciation and rents i'm going to get the job growth and population growth so we're basically getting eight cap and still getting all the upside that they're getting
2: Right. So, I mean, it's, uh, the exit is still where the market says it is, right? So right now we, Sam and I had a uh, happy hour. It was, it was quite happy, right?
0: It was, it was pretty happy.
2: <laughs> we had happy hour with a broker who does a lot of business out here. Um, and uh, they're, they're, they're not seeing anything over four and a half cap when anything reasonably C-class decent. Okay. That's four and a half cap. So if you figure your exit today at five and a quarter, when you know everything is trading at four and a half, if you figure it exit today, you know, and your basis is eight and a quarter and you figure you exit at five, you know, that's where you're making the Delta. That's where the money is. Right. And so the value add is what makes that possible, which is why, and you can't do it. $150 isn't value. add. I wouldn't get out of bed for $150 on this, on this scale. It's too unsafe. Yes. We bought this thing and you know, the first two-bedroom, one-bath that was rented, in place, we didn't even touch it. Uh, she got $160 premium. Okay. That's, she just cleaned it up. She didn't even resurface the countertop. She, it was just in place. They just cleaned it up and gave it out. $160 premium. That's before value-add program. That's before new appliances, new cabinets, granite countertops, before all of that. Okay. So that's what a deal looks like. And, you know, that's why we paid 4.75 cap. I would rather buy quality plus value added 4.75 than go you know, to, you know, Dayton, Ohio and pay eight and a half cap and and be stuck.
0: So, obviously, you guys are in a great area. You found a great market. It's a market that you guys know well. You found each other. What what allowed you to mentally take action and what's the steps you took to get started? You said something about this being a six month process. Speak a little to that.
1: I mean, we, we've put ourselves in the position every single day to get a deal. So every day, underwriting, reaching out to brokers, making offers. And I mean, we were in final investment numerous times that we didn't make it, but we, every day we just did the same thing. And I think having a partner that had the same goals is what got us here. Um, Every day pushing you. There's days where I didn't feel like underwriting. Ben calls me, has a ton of questions about a property. And so we spend eight hours underwriting on a day that I didn't feel like it. And with a partner out, that never would've happened.
2: How do you divide your roles?
3: (laughs) I'm
0: (laughs) a
2: good looking. He's a, you know, the brain Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) This is interesting though, because, okay, so I call Sam my personal Doogie Hauser because Uh that Deloitte training, that, that capacity around spreadsheets and numbers, the magnitude and speed with which he processes all that information in his head, um, is really quite impressive. I haven't seen anybody be able to do that. Um, and because of that training, he approaches the underwriting from a slightly different angle than I do. So I'm, I'm a violinist. So I'm much more liberal arts. And I'm well-known. I've, I've written a lot on bigger pockets about how everything starts with a story to me. Here's how buildings behave. Here's how people behave. Here's how those two interact. What do I, once I transpose that into numbers, what does that look like? So I start with that story about this investment and then I represent it with numbers. That's one way of doing it. And it's more liberal arts because you're starting with a visual- visualization of something other than the numbers and you're, you're backing into the numbers okay? Sam is the total opposite of that. Being a CPA and living in that world, he visualizes in numbers, like his language is numbers. And so his underwriting methodology and technique is a little different. So it was really kind of interesting to then marry the two and find a golden mean where the two kind of arrive at the same conclusions, but differently. So you're, you're checking work all the time. It, it worked out really well. But I, I will tell you, for me, this has been a five-year process. I mean, I've been, I've been talking to a good friend of mine, Brian Burke. I've been talking to him for about five years and, and listening and asking questions. And it, it just – uh, I'm not the sharpest tack in the box, but it's taken me five years to wrap my head around even the big picture. I mean, like syndication is a different sport. It's Mm -hmm. a, it's a, it's not real estate investing. It's a different sport. The underwriting is totally different coming from multifamily. You know, the way you'd buy a six unit, a 10 unit is not the way you're going to buy an a hundred. You just, it's completely different animal. Give Uh, us some reasons why. Completely different mindset. Uh, Because it's not a cash flow play. It's a flip. Why is that? Oh, you're going to have to pay me. (laughs) (laughs) that's where that's where i cut it off no why is that is very simple because if you're raising money from partners the first question is when am i going to get it back the second question is how much money are you going to make me in that order so if your first question that needs to be answered is when am i going to get it back then going in the first question you have to answer is when are you getting out how are you getting out what does that look like well that's a flip friends you know, we're not looking at it, hey, I'm buying some cash flow. It's going to be $20,000 a month, $200,000 a month, you know, whatever it's going to be. We're going to hold it forever. No, nobody wants to stay in my deal forever. They want to get their money back. So if I have to get the money back out, that means I have to get out of a deal. If I have to get out of a deal, it's a flip. So conceptually, it's a very different animal, very different approach. Uh, and that tees up very, very different underwriting models. Yeah, it's great. And
3: going into this deal, how'd you find a deal? And how'd you finance the deal?
2: Actually, it's all about relationships, but this wasn't an off-market property. Sam, did you get that email first or did I? I think I did, but I'm not positive on that.
0: What's this email?
2: We were both on the broker's email list just as we are on so many brokers emails list I get probably 20-30 emails a day from brokers bringing property to market Uh, this was one of them Um, and it's just that we had some competitive we feel advantage because we're local uh, and because uh, we are a bit of a known commodity so in other words the banker you know Bercadia financed this deal they knew who I was We've 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 not closed anything to this point, but we've worked together and got close on it. The property management company, they knew who I was because we haven't closed anything together, but we've worked on stuff pretty closely. And so when the broker calls to ask around, hey, who who are these guys, Ben and Sam? You know, he's getting the answers. And um, what what we did though is we we went hard on substantial amount of money. Um, in order to tie this deal up before the call for offers. So the call for offers went out. And then within a couple of days after it went out, we had a deal. Interestingly, when I met you guys in Jersey, when I was out there for Darren doing the thing, I walked people through. That's what I did. I walked people through the underwriting on this deal. Uh That event I did, that's a very... Two days after I came home, we were under contract on this deal on that very underwriting. So you made a great point about
3: creating relationships, even though you haven't closed anything and that gave you a leg up. And we hear that a lot is I, I, I haven't done a deal yet. I don't know how to, how to get some uh, standing ground with brokers or property managers or lenders. You, you have any ninja tricks or any, any good steps that people should be doing as they're building up their groundwork into buying multifamily?
2: Sam, wanna take that?
1: I think you need to start meeting with everybody that's gonna be involved with the deal. You need to start meeting with uh, brokers, mortgage brokers. You need to ha- start a relationship with your SEC attorney. That's not gonna help you get the deal, but it's gonna help speed things along once you do. Um, start meeting with property managers. Um, ben knew Bercadia, the guys at Bercadia. He also knew the people at our property management company, firm that we used for this deal. Um, and everybody else knew our property manager that was involved with this deal. So. When, when we had a relationship with the property manager, the broker reached out to the property manager, reached out, reached out to Bracadia, and they vouched for us and said that we, were, we would close. We were going to do, uh, do what we said we were going to do. And I mean, that just went a long way. And Ben started that eight months before we got the deal. That's awesome. That's awesome. And your property
3: manager, it sounds like it's, it's a great resource for you. How'd you find them? And what was some of the vetting criteria you used for them?
2: Well, they're, they're one of the largest. They've got, I don't know, 20 plus thousand units nationwide in five states. So they're, they're, they're not a small player. They're a large player. They, they own some property on their own. They manage third party. Um, I was trying to buy an asset that didn't work out, but they were managing that asset. And I got exposure to them and got into some deep conversations with them, went into their office, met the principals, all of that kind of thing on the deal that didn't work out um so i had a standing relationship with those guys and when when this came up they they knew who i was they were familiar with my underwriting they were familiar with the way that i think um and it it wasn't it wasn't they liked the project they really really liked the project they thought we could do very well on the project and so they put themselves behind it so that that was helpful
3: Incredible. And yet you have the property now. What, what is the strategy with the property in terms of, we talked a little bit about the rent bumps, but some of the other value adds and
1: from a holding standpoint, what is the intended hold period? So immediately we're going in and touching everything on the exterior of the property. So new landscaping, new paint, fixing the, adding some parking spaces, fixing the parking, fixing the gates. Um, we're redoing the laundry room, completely upgrading it, uh, credit card machines and that you can do it from your phone and you get phone alerts when your laundry is done. Um, we're putting in a fitness center that wasn't there before. Um, the laundry room has a ton of wasted space. So we're completely refiguring it, redoing the plumbing, um, taking down a wall, and really opening it up to put in a fitness center, Opening, putting a large window, adding a dog park on the other side of that window, um, extending the pool decking. So that phase one is just completely redoing the outside, rebranding it, new signage, new name. Um, and then we're going to go in and start – redoing all of the interiors.
0: That awesome. you, I mean, you've just mentioned like pretty much probably like, all value add that you can ever do to a building. Like you guys are doing it. You have the gym, yeah. you have the laundry, you have the dog park, you have, you probably yeah. have a walking. If you could, you put it in a pool. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Interesting.
2: The property is, it's 98 units, but it's, it's pretty tight, mm-hmm. which I like because I don't want to spend more on landscape that I have to so it's 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 pretty tight, but um, yeah I, we're, we're touching a lot of things on the inside, and as a matter of fact, today we're waiting for the final scope of work and pricing on the interior. Of course, we have ours, uh, but the PM is large enough so that they have a construction arm and they have a buying arm, and they're kind of preparing theirs, and they're going to GC the project, so you know we're waiting on their numbers and reconcile the numbers and everything else. Interestingly, one other benefit of being a large city, specifically in the Southwest, the bidding process for all of the exterior work like roofing, painting, all of that has been extremely aggressive. We have been able to get five to 20% discounts on basically every aspect of exterior capex
3: um against our budget and what has led like to being able to get that discount
2: it's just a happening place where a lot of people are moving in there's not enough work everybody wants you know everybody wants to do their best you know um it's also you know it's a conservative place you know there, there's not much going on with unions there's not much going on hey you can do the job you want the job your license boom
1: What's also helped is we're with such a large uh, property manager that a lot of contractors want to be in their pocket and they want their business to use on future deals. So they have given us some discounts in hopes that they'll get future business from our property manager. At least that's been passed along from our property manager to us.
3: Yeah, that's a huge point. We're actually going through an aluminum uh, wiring uh, remediation on one of the properties and we're getting a discount because the because the property manager has given the uh, electrician work on another property. So that, that's a huge point to touch right. on. That's great. Right. And you guys hit on so many good value adds. How did you, and a lot of them are really creative. How did you put these together? That This is what this property needs. Was it all on your side? Did you get uh, some thoughts from the property manager? Give us some thoughts about how you've put together this process you're doing.
1: It was a mix so we have a we have a recently finished comp that they give us a lot of the ideas for the amenities. Um, we're near Grand Canyon University which is going through a huge transformation right now. Um, and that's where a lot of the value adds coming from. Um, they're growing and there's not enough housing for all these new students and a lot of the properties around it haven't been touched yet. Um, so we looked at what do students want, what it looked at next to ASU, looked at the one property next to Grand Canyon University that's been touched, and what do people want in these in these properties. Um, and that helped a lot. We started meeting with the uh, PM very early in the process. Um, they looked at our scope of work, even before we put in the offer, they're already giving us feedback on what we're doing under the property. Um, and then we've met with them, I would say, a couple times a week since that process, so is this going to be majority student housing?
3: Or, or
2: No. We don't know what it's going to be. We're not gearing towards student housing. We just want to be attractive to that. I mean, the university uh, just announced that they're bringing uh, 14,000 more students and 3,000 more employees in the next two years. So the employees, 3,000. I mean, you know, they're not going to buy a house right away. They're going to come in. They're going to need a nice place. And where do the universities go? They go in so-so part of town because the land is cheap. And then they convert that part of town, and it happens every time, right? Every big university, as they grow, they gentrify everything in their path, in their, in their, in their wake, you know? So the same thing is happening here, you know? Uh, and if you want to be close to campus and you want to be in a nice two-bedroom, two-bath with solid counters and stainless steel, you don't have any options. You're going to have this option. That's great.
0: So tell us a little bit more about the numbers. What's the hold period on this property?
2: Well, there's a bunch of different exit strategies. You know, you can, you can, um, you can, we can do the exterior. We can do the, the, the community features, and then we can do 20% of the units, prove the value add and sell the value add and get out that way. Um, The entire repositioning process, we're probably going to need two years to complete all of the apartments. But we can get out literally – I mean, we, the way the and, – and, you know, I, I don't know if it's Sam or me or if we agree or what, but I force the issue. I'm not going to get into a deal unless we underwrite it to a 10-year hold uh, because I don't know where the cycle is going to be. I'm extremely bullish on this cycle, and I'm extremely bullish in Arizona and Phoenix Pacific, but I don't know where we're going to be in the cycle. So we're going to make crazy IRR getting out in three years. We're going to make pretty crazy IRR getting out in five years. But even in four years, we're going to make double-digit IRRs, mid, mid-teen mid IRRs, even on a 10-year hold. So it was important for me to understand what would happen if we can't get out. What's the financing going to look like? What do we need to do? Um, and you play, you got to plan all that stuff out.
3: So what are, what are some of the huge learning lessons you've learned so far that you can share with the listeners that uh, maybe you didn't, weren't aware of getting, uh, getting started.
1: Sam, you want to start this? <laughs> they're, in, they're in this, yeah. right? So we, so we got them. I think you, I think years. you, you're top you the have range. a lesson. Yeah. And I would say involve professionals as much as you can. Yeah. Um, there's plenty of people out there that specialize in what you're doing and let them do it, um, from attorneys, you would think, Oh, I, I need an attorney for this closing deal, but you need three different attorneys to put this together, you need securities attorneys a closing attorneys, um, you need an attorney for the PSA. Now you can combine that with the closing attorney, but you just, you need all those and trying to do it without them just doesn't make sense. We, we thought we could do without a closing attorney and at the last minute we went with one and I'm so happy we did. Um, no, talk
2: about, talk about fundraising. <laughs> <laughs> I was about
0: to ask you that. Talk, talk a little bit about the syndication point of the... If you have
1: to raise $3.5 million, have $5 million in commitments. That's great. Yeah, <laughs> great point. People great. back out. And um, have Ben um, Leibovich on your team. That's an even bigger point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: It's hard to raise money, dude. It's... um. I mean, we raised, you know, we raised three and a half, and we actually ended up turning away some uh, at the end. But there were moments that were just like, you know, and, and at that point, you've got a couple of hundred thousand on the line. This is what people don't get, okay? You put down a $100,000 EMD, which is hard. You put down a $50,000 good faith deposit to the bank you put down 15 to 20 to an SEC attorney, you give $5,000 to a local attorney, you're into this thing before you even start to a tune of almost $200,000. You don't have an approval on the loan and you don't know if you've raised the money, okay? So if you wanna play with the big dogs it's it's not for the, it's not it's not for, you it's know, what apart. am I trying to say? It's not for it's a faint at heart. Yeah. Part, well,
3: it's, it's good. that it, That's not coming. You're not raising that money. That's coming from the general partners doing their due diligence and putting that together before you're even getting into yes. the deal. So you're raising that's exactly right. After you're getting your securities documents, you have all that in place. Speak with your lawyers and your attorneys on this. Uh, but yeah, you're absolutely right. And people, you raise that money and people get so excited about the deal. And they're not necessarily dropping out because of something with the deal, but they, they generally somehow find that. They're overextended. Maybe their, you know, their wife started. We had one where the guy felt bad telling us, you know, he was into it, but his wife started business. They got to taxis and didn't realize they were going to get this huge tax bill because she hadn't paid any taxes. And but he held on right there, and we were like three weeks out, and he had to pull out a big chunk. He's like, "Dude," I was like, "It's fine," you know. But having that extra raise helps you sleep at nights. So you so, don't. Have to worry, I'm, <laughs> worry I'm gonna point
0: it. that out to everybody again. <laughs> You've heard it from everybody we've talked to. You probably every single, single single here that we've had on this show has said raise more than you need, always. Because you can always use them on your next deal. Raise more than you need.
3: Especially in your first deal,
2: right? I will tell you that the raise more than you need is a function of your deal. You know, what you have is what you have. It's what's gonna raise the money. You can't raise the money. Nobody's that good at sales. That if you have a piece of shit, that you can raise three and a half million dollars. It just doesn't work that way. You have to have a compelling proposition.
0: Well, and then going with what Ben is saying, yes, it's true, have a compelling proposition, but tell everybody what you're trying to do. Tell everybody so that they already kind of have it in their minds that, oh, Ben's kind of getting into this huge multifamily thing. What is he doing? Yeah, Ben's doing that, okay. So a couple months later, Ben's name comes up and oh yeah Ben's actually raising money for this huge deal oh yeah I heard about that tell me more but get your get what you're trying to do get it out there I mean you might not be Ben Labovich, but you can raise money for your deal
2: yeah you you sure as hell not Ben (laughs) Labovich. but I I tell you the biggest secret the best way to do it start a podcast you know what I'm
0: (laughs) that's right (laughs) right. start a podcast
2: Sam Sam we need to start a podcast, dude. Ben yeah. tells me this every week.
1: <laughs>
2: I just don't want to do the work. Yeah. Let's pay somebody to do the work. I don't have that. So talk. Much. And talk. Yep. I, I've been told I'm quite engaging and very good looking. What do you think? I love it. <laughs> I think You're
0: it's
2: true. in. You're in. I think
0: it's true. Uh-huh. <laughs> Ben's the brain. You're the pretty boy. I get it. <laughs> anyway, back to real estate. Enough about uh, Ben's face.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, So what's, oh, I've asked you this before. So what's next?
2: You don't need to blush. (laughs) We're all all friends. We're almost family. It's all good.
3: (laughs) It's that that Phoenix heat in, uh, in New Jersey. Yeah. That's
2: right. Okay. What's next?
0: What's next?
2: A thousand Um, units by 2020. A thousand units by 2020 is what we're doing, but, um, we're also, you know, I teach, I like to teach. I've always taught, you know, I've, taught small multifamily for years for a decade. I write God knows how much on bigger pockets. I do less now because we're doing so much more, uh, you know, acquisition related stuff, activities, you know, underwriting and all that. So I've scaled down on my writing a lot, but I love to teach. We're putting together a, a, a syndication workshop in Phoenix. That's going to be in about four months. So that's the next project. But I, you know, I, 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 I can't see myself as the guy pumping out two syndications a month. I just can't see myself in that role, with that life. You know, to, to me, it takes so much out of me. The, and the most difficult part of syndicating is the fiduciary responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've all worked with private money for, for years and years, but you get older and wiser and this fiduciary thing is heavy. You know, it's, you're responsible for a lot of people's money. And so, so I can't see myself just, just doing a fund like that and doing, you know, I figure we can get to 1000 by 2020 just doing a couple of deals a year. Just, yeah. just being very picky and doing really good deals, a couple of deals a year. Um, that's enough for us to stay active and to be on the broker's radars and, and to, to, you know, to get the notices, to get the calls and all of that. Uh, you have to have some of that, but I can't see myself just perpetually do it. That's all I'm doing is putting deals together and doing, you know, it's, it's just not the life I want. I enjoy teaching. I like to teach. I believe there's more than enough deals for everybody. Um, it's just a view of universe. That's maybe different. I, I don't, I don't see things as cutthroat that you have to stand on somebody's head in order to get a piece You know, be creative, figure out your own way, get something they don't see, find an opportunity. There's more than enough. There's more than enough. So I want to teach and and I don't know what other facets of teaching I will develop over time. But for now, I want to do a live event. Well,
0: I love your mindset of abundance it's true there's more yeah. than enough deals for everybody if you have the gumption if you have the brain power, if you have just the drive to take action you're gonna get your deals done and you're gonna get them done with action and by bringing in the correct mentors and learning correctly so let's talk a little bit about what's happening in Phoenix this, uh this workshop that you're putting together this mastermind
2: yeah yeah so this is really cool it's a little different uh, it's different because we don't have anything to upsell <laughs> we don't have, we're not trying to get them through the door for a couple of hundred dollars to upsell them on 25 grand. We're not, we're not doing that. Uh, we don't have a coaching program. We don't have a membership site. We don't have a mentorship, this and that. We and don't, you know, uh, so we're, we're, we're charging about 1500 for a ticket to come for two days to Phoenix and to actually learn. We're actually going to project all of the numbers, all the spreadsheets on the screen and walk them through the entire underwriting process. We're going to get uh, the, the, the attorney, the, the broker, the PM in front of them. And in, in the second day, we're going to do a bus tour to the property. So once they see the numbers, see the logic, understand the underwriting, now they can go touch and feel and see what it really looks like and what the numbers turned out to be as opposed to what we that thought.
0: That is amazing. So you're basically going to walk them through your deal. That's That's exactly it. Huge. That's a huge amount of information right there. I wish I had had somebody walk me through our first deal that way. I mean, if you, if you, anybody that's listening right now, if you don't get more information, we'll post a link to, to the website that you guys have. Um, Look at the website. Take a look at what they're doing because that is golden. Golden. Yeah, that'll be
1: January 26th and 27th. Nice.
3: The dates that's huge and yeah for people listening it, you know the big things i got to find an area i want to I want to be and I got to go after a property. I got, to, I got to find money to buy it and get something under contract, underwrite it and then close it and, and then hopefully do stuff. And that all sounds well and good, but it's all the little pieces in there that you're going to be able to get from this that, that are things that are showstoppers. You'll, you'll just have something in there that will be a question that will derail you that will probably be so simple after you know it, but because you don't know it, you'll get sidelined for one or two weeks because you don't know an answer to that. And it may be something with syndication related. It may be something that a broker asks you a question and you just haven't heard it before and it's not ultimately a big deal, but having people, by your side that can just help you with the simple answer can save you two weeks of time even more that you don't get derailed on something that's really not a big ticket item
2: so and I I agree with all of that and I think it's bigger than that though because perspective like if you're going to put your money into a syndication you got to be able to deconstruct the offering materials and pull the numbers back down to the lowest common denominator okay Mm -hmm. how do you know how to do that if you haven't done that before we're going to teach you um The most confusing thing for most people, and for me in the beginning, for most people though, how do you know what the expenses are going to be? Guys, I'm telling you, ain't no magic in it. There's no magic in it whatsoever. There's seven or eight line items in the apex. It's been studied. It's been calculated. It's been averaged. You underwrite to the averages. We're going to teach you what those numbers are. So there's no question about them. It's syndication is a black box. A large apartment buildings, are it's a black box. It's a club. They don't want to let you in. There's a lot of money to be made. So it's understandable they don't want to let you in because there's a lot of money to be made. But it's a black box until you shine a light on it because actually the logic isn't really that complex. It just requires a shift, a marginal shift in thinking. It's like what we were talking about. You know, you're not buying a cash flow property. It's, that's not what a big apartment building is it's you know it's not that's not it, it, we have some value there but it's not where all of the value is and probably not where most of the value is and so we'll we'll dig into really what this game is about
3: that's awesome good
0: I can't wait for that.
3: Well, before we let you go, can you give us, and we think actually coming to the event would be a good answer to this, but give us something that people can do today to take their first action step into learning about multifamily property.
0: Buy a fourplex.
2: I would say. (laughs) (laughs) Buy a fourplex. Um, Perfect. Like if you're a small guy and you have 15 grand in your little town of 1,500 people, by a fourplex. The, um, the difficult part about this is understanding the dynamics because really the numbers stand for something. They're just not numbers. They're, they're, they're there for a reason because they tell a story. So you gotta experience that story. You have to internalize that story. How do people behave? Why do they behave that way? What happens to their jobs? You know, what's, what is economic loss? What's it made up of? You, you know, you can study it academically And it probably won't make sense to most people because most people aren't like Sam, CPAs would deal with training, okay? Most people have to experience the dynamic,
1: internalize it, then multifamily starts making sense. If this is your first time being introduced to multifamily, I would start reading some books. Um, That's what I did a year and a half ago. Go to some local workshops. Um, My Azria, a year and a half ago, had apartment... Uh, training on a weekend there's 30 bucks nothing expensive um, and that was my first introduction to it and and that'll just get you down to getting started on the path um, but if this is your first where that's where I would start it's just awesome any book suggestions
3: yeah. book to start uh,
1: the complete guide to buying and selling apartment buildings I think it's by Steve Burgess awesome. I want to say um, another one is multifamily millions So
0: basically, Um, look for books, look for people, look for, buy smaller multifamilies just to get yourself into the mindset of large multifamilies. Yeah,
2: it's not sustainable. Small multifamily is a fool's errand. You know, it's, it's not sustainable, it's not manageable, it's not sustainable in the long run, which is why we're all here, because we've realized through doing that that's not the life we want, right? And the value is just not enough to compensate for the headache. So that's why we're here. But- the experience has been priceless. It's awesome.
0: So, before we got on uh, for this podcast taping, you mentioned something about Sam having a baby.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Sam, would you like to share? So, Ben has a Tesla, and he's been bugging me for months that I need to get a Tesla. (laughs) And I told him I won't get one until we get our first deal. (laughs) So, yesterday, I went and bought a Tesla. <laughs> Congratulations! I'm glad. <clapping. laughs> and we have a we have a three way thread going with
2: the broker that sold us this building, who also drives a Tesla.
0: <laughs> the reason why I'm laughing is because Sam is not the only person he's convinced, or so yeah, Sam's not the only person that Ben's convinced to get a Tesla. Right. That's right, Darren Sager. That's right. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So Darren, if you're listening to this, mm-hmm. Sam bit the bullet too. That's great.
3: <laughs> well, guys, thank it, you it, so much. Absolutely huge congratulations on the property. We love to see how the awesome progress is going. We love to see how the event's And Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Before uh, we jump off, if people, guests, and listeners want to connect with you, which is the best way to find you?
2: So the event – is going to be at www.justaskbeny.com forward slash phoenix.
0: Fantastic.
2: That's where you can register for the event. That's also where you can email me. There's also a little text thing that you can text me and ask questions. Um, We're really not looking for too, too many people. Uh, We rented a space. Matter of fact, we were over there yesterday at uh, Sheridan in downtown. I think 150 is all we can fit in that space. And that's all, uh, that's all we're going to do. And we're going to have a group of 16 people that we're going to offer VIP. Uh, and there's a couple of extra events, but it's very small, very, very kind of one-on-one kind of thing. 16 cool. people all
1: in that. Um, but uh, yeah, you get the, you get the training. So- and outside of the training, uh, you can reach me at whitehavencapital.com. Whitehaven Capital is uh, my company, mine and my wife's company.
0: Fantastic. Well, awesome thank guys. you again, both of you, for joining us today. So,
1: it
0: was a pleasure to have you on.
1: Thank you having us. <laughs> thank you, thank you, guys.
3: So, go out with a bang, guys. That, that's <laughs> what we do it right here on the Real Estate Investing Foundation podcast. And since Peely's tongue tied, I'll take this one to the finish. No, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Right. Okay.
0: So, this is the Real Estate Investing Foundation podcast with Jason and Peely. <laughs> Thank you so much to Ben and Sam for being on our show. And thank you all for listening. We are so grateful. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into the REI Foundation podcast. Check back next time for more awesome tips and strategies to launch your new you in real estate.